Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to another episode of Buckeye Talk. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, and Andrew Gillis coming to you from the food room, this very, very large food room inside Lucas Oil Stadium after the second day of Big Ten Media Days, where we talked with Indiana head coach Tom Allen, Maryland head coach Mike. Loxley, Minnesota head coach P.J. Fleck, Purdue's new head coach Ryan Walters, Nebraska's new head coach Matt Rule, Wisconsin's new head coach Luke Fickle, former Buckeye, and then reigning Big Ten champ Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh. And we care about two of those names on this pod. We'll get into that other stuff maybe later, maybe we won't. But we'll start with – we also talked with Big Ten – the head of the reps, Corello, excuse me. Coordinator of football thank officials. You. Co- thank you. I was looking for his, his title. Coordinator of football officials for the Big Ten, Bill Corello, was also made available today in which he got questions about Marvin Harrison and the hit that knocked him out of the uh, Chick-fil-A. Uh, what is that ball called again? The, the college football, yeah, thank you. The Peach Bowl, the college football playoff Peach Bowl against Georgia in the third quarter. Uh, Andrew, you talked with Corello. What did he have to say about the hit and how he would have officiated it had it been Big Ten referees involved and not Pac-12 refs? Yeah, you know, so one of the things that he kind of talked about was that he mentioned, you know, it was it was a dangerous play. That was the word that he used to describe it. And, you know, he, he kind of talked about a couple of different things. But, you know, obviously that was one of the words that, you know, really kind of stuck out to me. Whenever you have, you know, somebody like that calling a play dangerous on a play that there wasn't a flag, I mean, that's pretty significant. Um, you know, but the thing that he really kind of honed in on after that was, you know, he said, when you see a play like that, you know, that's a play that a lot of people think, okay, defenseless receiver, that's a personal foul. And if you want to throw targeting onto that, you can. Now, that was kind of how he would have liked to see it called. I mean, he said that the call on the field, he was okay with. He watched the call on the field and went, I'm, I think that that works. And then you go to replay and they overturn it. He said, for whatever reason, that's, you know, that's their decision that they're going to overturn it. That's fine. Um, you know, and he did, you know, he did kind of give them a little bit of credit and he said, you know, look, look, this is a tough call. Like this is a really, really difficult call. This is a tough thing for them to do. But in, in his ideal world and, and kind of every, everything that he kind of went back to was that if you call a personal foul on that play, then you can call a personal foul targeting and go to the replay booth because his whole point was, you know, a lot of fans see that and, you know, you see a guy get knocked out to see a guy get taken out of the game with a concussion. That's significant. And there's no flag on that. A lot of fans are going to have questions about that. So his whole point was 
If you call a personal foul, if you say personal foul and targeting, then you go to the booth and review targeting. And if you decide there's not targeting, if you want to keep the defender in the game, that's fine. You're still going to have now Ohio State in that scenario, if they had done that, wouldn't have had Marvin Harrison Jr. He would have uh, he would have obviously still been out with a concussion. Georgia still would have had their defensive player, but Ohio State would have had first and goal with you know they were up eleven with under a minute left in the third quarter. I mean you are you know a couple yards away, if not a yard away, from making that an eighteen point game. I mean that's really really big, and a lot of people and a lot of Ohio State fans say that that you know decided the national championship game right then and there. So. That was kind of his whole – that was the, the number one thing that I took away from it was that, you know, Buckeye fans should be thinking about this for as much as they do think about a play that happened a handful of months ago. Uh, Buckeye fans should be thinking about this in a way that is like, okay, even if you call off the targeting, they should have called a personal foul. And that was Bill's point that they, if you call a personal foul there, you still get the end result. And the only thing that could happen there is that you're debating whether or not to throw the defensive player out of the game. So, Nathan – I'm going to be a fan for a second. What am I supposed to do with that information? Because this is now the second time in the Ryan Day tenure where a is it targeting, is it not targeting conversation has played a pivotal role in a playoff game for Ohio State. Now, the Sean Wade one, by the letter of the law, clearly was targeting. It's just the stuff that follows after maybe that was a conversation. This one maybe is a little bit more up in the air. But as I mentioned before, this isn't a Pac-12, you know, uh, coordinator of referees who's who's saying this. This is a Big Ten referee who had nothing to do with the game and would have had nothing to do with the game because they typically go with neutral reps for for postseason games. So, talk to me like I'm a fan. What am I supposed to do with this information? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's really not going to make you feel any better about anything, and it doesn't. Uh give you anything that you can change this scenario with. I mean, the game, the game played out. Uh, there's human error as it, as it relates to officiating and it, it can go for against your team and people can point out times it's gone for Ohio state. I think what's going to, in any number of ways, there were so many what ifs from that game, right? Like what if Cade Stover, what if Marvin Harrison still gets hurt and everything plays out the way it did, but Cade Stover doesn't get hurt. Like we, we pointed out multiple plays in that game where Kate Silver's absence was significant, significant. What if they have a healthier backfield going into that game? Like you could, you can play a lot of what ifs. What if Lathan Ransom doesn't slip, right? Like it, it, this is just one of the many what ifs. And it, 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 I think it's going to, it could be a thing that, that builds a little bit because now you're starting to see it, it's in a line of, of what ifs for Ohio State. What if they're better prepared to play Oregon? What if they? Uh, what if Josh Proctor doesn't get hurt in 2021? Um, um, little things just keep happening. What if they'd had a of of um, a full fully healthy roster to play Alabama? They probably don't beat him in 2020, but do they make it a better game? Like when does Ohio State get to have its moment where the what ifs stop being the story and the victory is the story? So I think it's probably a part of a line of frustrations. But again, this plays into why when we, uh, Doug and I on a pod recently asked, you know, what's the one win that you would, the one loss that you would flip in Ohio State history? What's the one loss you would uh, turn into a win because it'd have the most ramifications? And we were surprised by how heavily that vote went to the Georgia game. But I think it's because it's both so present in people's minds 
and also because people know that unlike 20 unlike 2006 or 2007 or 2020 you're not flipping the outcome of a game Ohio State didn't deserve to win Ohio State deserved to win that game had played well enough to win that game and just had too many things like this that went against it but this primarily and I guess maybe I think if you're an Ohio State fan you could look at it and say well now this is a teachable moment. Now they will know how to better call this play the next time, whether it's in season, whether it's in another bowl game. But I think Ohio State fans are probably also jaded and have had enough of these happen in the last four years that they're going to say, well, they'll just find another, a different reason to screw up the uh, call next time. And I understand where they're coming from. So that's, Something that clearly it's not completely in your control, right? This is, you know, the refs are making decisions in that situation, and that that is what it is. And uh, you've made a, a very good point. You tried to find a way to make a point in a situation where the answer is I don't know, and I get that. But there are things that are here today at Second Day at Big Ten Media Days where Ohio State did have some control, and that is how they play against Michigan. And I, I wanted to hold this off into a break, but I think this is a perfect segue to just get into it with Jim Arbaugh, who. Off rip was one of the first things he was asked was back when he was still doing the TV segment. And it's kind of like the 15 minute segment where you give like an opening statement and then you get two or three fluff questions. But Dan Hope from 11 Warriors did get a real question in. On Wednesday, Ryan Day brought up the idea of potentially moving the Michigan Ohio State game off of the last weekend, which of course caused us to do an entire pod about it and write stories about it. So, of course, the next step in that is the next day, ask the other person involved who opinion matters on this subject right now. And it was Jim Harbaugh. Nathan, what was Jim Harbaugh's answer to that question? Well, he didn't shut it down. He was Mm. definitely seemed to be more ambivalent about it, uh, more indifferent almost towards it than Ryan Day was. You know, acknowledging that people – like the Thanksgiving tradition, but basically saying whenever they want to play the game, we'll play the game. Whenever they tell us to play the game, he's not saying whenever Ohio State wants to play the game. He's not ceding that to them, but saying like whenever the Big Ten schedules that game, they'll play that game. I think he and Day may be of of similar thought here that it's more about practicality than about anything else. And But I also think that maybe – he just it's possible that he just hasn't thought this through to the extent that day has but he he definitely seemed much more ambivalent about it whereas day came here and unprompted said when he didn't have to said oh maybe we should think about moving that um so it's 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 he it sounds like one of those things where like if they really pushed for it and if the big 10 got behind it missions maybe not going to stand in the way or at least harbaugh's mm-hmm. not going to stand in the way but it doesn't sound to me like Harbaugh is eager to um, make this a hill he's going to die on and try to fight for it. Am I crazy? I, I said this to somebody else after Harbaugh yes. wrapped up today. Thank you. Jim Harbaugh is weird. I think we can all agree on that. Mm-hmm. But it's weird talking <laughs> to him, but it makes sense. Is Does that kind of – like? I, I felt like I – I might be alone in this, but am I the only – go ahead. If people were to go back and watch his press conference today, not not the one at the stage, but the one where it's the breakout tables, you'll see that Stephen Means got to be the starring uh, player in one of these moments for Jim Harbaugh. Well, first of all, I'm sitting on the opposite side 
And uh, whenever you ask Jim Harbaugh a question, he kind of leans towards you and gets this look yeah. on his face like you are speaking any number of languages that he's never heard before. Just this, the yeah. look he has on his face. Like you're speaking something I don't – it's unintelligible to me. And then <laughs> this is one of the best moments of the day. And then sometimes <laughs> he's like, oh, I couldn't quite hear that. Can you repeat that? Or I didn't quite yeah. understand that. But today he said – I was thinking of something else unrelated. Could you repeat that yep. question? And uh, that was a, I, that was a new one for me. That was a new one on it the bingo card. And like, so I tried to like go along with it for a minute and goes, "Well, what were you thinking about?" And he was like, "No, no, no, just ask yeah, your question again." He didn't Which, go for that. No, I, I guess. And I, I do think that it, the, the thing the thing I asked him, I think we don't have enough time here because they're going to kick us out of here in about twenty minutes here. But I, I do think I'll just put it in our, our our listeners' heads for now, and I might even text this out. This idea that he has really hyped up JJ McCarthy this today, right? I whether it was the fifteen minute session beforehand, I just listening to him do radio hits and stuff as I was walking around, or the forty five seconds he mentioned Mahomes, he mentioned Josh Allen, and it wasn't a talent thing. It was one, he's super talented. Yes, he's a five-star quarterback. But the way he talks about his teammates and the way his teammates respond to him. And it made me think of him the way I think we think of Dwayne Haskins and his impact at Ohio State in terms of there's what quarterback, what, what an Ohio State quarterback is before Dwayne Haskins and what an Ohio State quarterback is after Dwayne Haskins. You know, the NFL talent that you have to have. The Ryan Day wants this to be QBU. You have to be a Heisman Trophy level, first round talent level player to even for them to even offer you. I don't think Michigan has to be that because they don't necessarily play the same offense. But I do think that and it's what my question was is has what you've seen from J.J. McCarthy in any way impacted your approach to finding quarterbacks. And even if he took the weird route to get there, he did kind of say yes in his hardball way. And I guess I'll ask you guys that. Is, is that a reasonable thing to say there when in terms of what J.J. McCarthy has been able to do for Michigan the last two and a half years, what's coming up next behind him with Jaden Davis as a top 100 recruit? Can he be there – kind of the guy who punches through the wall and finally this is what a Michigan quarterback is supposed to look like for Jim Harbaugh even if they're not even if they're all different skill sets you know it McCarthy is interesting because if you look at it through the Ohio State lens um, it's not as impressive he doesn't mm -hmm. put up Ohio State quarterback numbers passing numbers he's not it's not that kind of an offense he's not that kind of a player but when you look at efficiency when you look at guys who uh, get the job done and guys who win games including beating ohio state including beating them in ohio stadium he clearly does that he clearly checks those boxes and i think what michigan is going to be in a situation where um you know ohio state is is cultivating its quarterback recruiting and its receiver recruiting together and hoping that those things kind of keep attracting top talent together. And that's, that's clearly working and it's, it's working in perpetuity. They've got it lined up for 2024, 2025. They're, they're doing fine there. In Michigan, when you build your team in a different way, then I think it gives you a little bit more leeway as to which, what kind of quarterback you're finding. You don't need to go find necessarily the same kind of NFL prospect 
to quarterback your team, but it's it's you also maybe don't always have a guy who's going to lift your team, and that's what I think. You know, with JJ McCarthy, that game was not one on his shoulders. Even though they had some explosive passing plays last year, that wasn't him having to do what CJ Stroud was trying to do at the end of the Georgia game and lead mm-hmm. a drive, lead a scoring drive. Uh, you know what I mean? Um, it, it, they took what Ohio State gave them a little bit defensively in that game. Um, and then did some big things on the ground. It obviously did some big things on the ground the year before. So I think that's maybe the next step before I'm ready to call McCarthy um, uh, that kind of level of quarterback. I want to see it um, in in a way where he, he's deciding the game. And Michigan builds itself in a way that it, it tries to minimize how often that has to happen. But uh, it, it will have to happen at some point, I think, for him to, to, to truly break through. Because I think it, it, maybe the better comparison is someone like um, Stetson Bennett. Mm. Um, and I know Bennett was a, was not as highly recruited as a recruit than McCarthy. And McCarthy may be a better quarterback. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to denigrate McCarthy when I say that. But in terms of, of style, um, you saw I thought Bennett go out and in his way command a game that I'm still I think is is the next step for McCarthy. Andrew, am I crazy? Well yeah, but not for that. Um well maybe. Um you know I, I just I, I think I think Nathan's right. Um you know when you talk about JJ, like I just I need to see it. Like I want I wanna see him play Georgia and go toe to toe with the Georgia defense that has, you know, a bunch of dudes going to the NFL, right? Like I I want to see that now, obviously, like, you know, you kind of look at their rankings, like in terms of, you know, recruiting rankings for JJ McCarthy, like obviously he's really highly touted and, and everything like that. I just, I mean, you know, Steven and I were kind of talking before we started here, um, you know, Michigan has Jaden Davis committed in their 2024 class. I mean, that's a top hundred recruit. That's a four-star recruit. Like I do think there is something there to be like success breeds success a little bit. I think that there is kind of that aspect of this with recruiting and, and kind of what Steven was talking about with, okay, maybe this is kind of the start of what, you know, what you think a Michigan quarterback could be or can be. And and I think that, you know, if you're able to do this more and more, like if J.J. McCarthy has a really good year, that's a really easy sales pitch to, you know, prospective Michigan recruits at quarterback and say, hey, look, here's here's what you can be. You know, here's what we can turn you into. And, um, you know, I think if, if, if you can start to do this year in and year out, I mean, the good programs recruit good quarterbacks every year and you just kind of let – you know, let the chips fall where they may. And then the kids who aren't going to play transfer. And I mean, that's just the landscape of modern college football. So like, I think, you know, if you do this, you can just have, you can have a really talented quarterback room in Michigan pretty quickly. If, uh, you know, if you're able to, because it's not only like, can JJ McCarthy play well? It's like, can you turn this into a thing where you can turn it and show it to recruits and show it to maybe prospective transfers and say, you know, this is what we want out of you. This is what we think you can do. We think you can take a next step. You know, I mean, like Nathan said, I just, I do have questions about kind of what JJ can do in terms of, you know, can he go win a game? Like we just haven't seen it. Like, can he go beat an Alabama type school? Can he go win a game on his own? Like Michigan does so many other things really well that, you know, you haven't really had to see that yet. So is there anything else from a Michigan standpoint? Because we, we, t- we talked a little bit about it on, on the Wednesday pod. The, the, it feels like Michigan's kind of the headliner. And it felt that way when we were sitting sit, – we're all standing there watch, listening to Harbaugh speak, and it feels like everybody's watching Harbaugh. It's kind of like 
I don't actually know who had the bigger crowd between him and Ryan Day over the last two days. It might have been a, a pretty similar. So is there anything else from Michigan and Harbaugh, whether it be a player or from just Michigan in general, that of note happened today? I think Harbaugh might have had the bigger crowd, but I think it was partially because there are more people there that need to ask him about you know NCA problems and things like that than mm. there are around Ohio State right now. Yeah, which which he wouldn't get into, and he made it clear multiple times that he was not allowed to say anything. He didn't even – I think someone tried to dress up a question at one point, and he even went like, I appreciate you dressing up the question. I'm with you. Chest bowed. I'm with you. So I just can't say anything about it. Yeah, the, the so beating of the chest to- was a really nice touch. As, as it relates to quarterbacks, I did ask him, because I've been curious, obviously last season – Michigan had an incumbent quarterback in Cade McNamara and had J.J. McCarthy, who had been sort of a backup, like, niche. Uh, I use that word a lot, don't I? Uh, kind of like a, a package quarterback. And um, they were competing, and Harbaugh decided to take that into the season. And uh, I forgot to, to mark down exactly who they played. It was I know the second game was against Hawaii. That was the one that McCarthy started, the one that Mac- Started. They played Colorado State to open the year. Colorado State, that's right. So you're opening against group of five teams. And I asked him, um, you know, first of all, just what how that helped him. And and, and he said that, you know, it, practice uh, scenarios can only take you so far. And when it was so close, they felt they had to do real game scenarios in order to finish that evaluation. And I asked if their schedule, and he's probably sensitive to this, so who knows? I didn't expect him to say, yeah, it helps that we play a crappy non-conference schedule. But I asked, Does it, did it help allow you to do that because you weren't opening with a Big Ten team? I didn't even say a Power Five team, like you know, a non-conference. You know what I mean? You, you didn't have a, a Big Ten team to open against. So it would have been a very uneven, like what Ohio State would have to do this year. You're going to start mm-hmm. one of them against Indiana and one of them against Western Kentucky, and that doesn't really work. And he dismissed that, though. He said, no, like it was just the, this was how it had to happen. He said that the fairest thing in that situation was to take it to overtime, as he put it. And I'm so I, that's all in the context of the way Ryan Day was talking about Kyle McCord and Devin Brown. And if it really is that close and if it really does push into the season, is it a thing that makes any sense at all? And I think for other circumstances around Ohio State's it probably doesn't. I'm going to write about this for the site for tomorrow. It, it probably doesn't, um, but it's just unique. It, I thought it was interesting to hear Harbaugh say, he, it's easy to say, would he have actually done it? I don't know. If he'd had to open against Indiana and then had another game after that, would they still have approached it the same way? I imagine they probably would have maybe played it out like they did in 2021 with the same scenario and then let them each start a bad non-conference game and then make a decision. I don't know, though. It was interesting because uh, you didn't have to confront it the same way that Ohio State has to. Yeah, I, I think eight, 2018 and 2019 are probably the only two years where this idea would have worked for Ohio State if they were in that position. Just because the schedules were kind of something like 19, I think they opened, they opened up with Florida Atlantic. 18, I think they opened up with Oregon State, who was very much in a down part of their their program was in some down years at that point. So that's the only time. Uh, whether he admits it or not, that probably plays a role. Is when you can treat the first two games of the season like preseason games, it, it, it definitely helps in those situations. Uh, we're going to take a break real quick, and when we come back, 
I'm going to throw something else at Nathan and Andrew, and I'm going to ask him if I'm crazy, which we did a video earlier, and they didn't think I was too far off with that one. And it has to do with former Ohio State linebacker turned assistant coach, turned head coach, back turned assistant coach, Luke Fickle. And more on that when we get back here on Buckeye Talk. Back here on Buckeye Talk. So I spent 45 minutes talking to Luke Whipper. Uh, Luke, Luke, Luke Whipper. Wow. Luke Fickle. Whipper. Luke Whipple yeah. busy, <laughs> he is busy. He's busy. Decided, trying to work. decided he yeah. had nothing else to do with the Big Ten. That is true. That is true. This Luke, Luke Fickle, wanted everything to do with the Big Ten, and it's part of the reason why he took this Wisconsin job. He's he's reportedly had other options at times. He's been his name has been thrown out there with other situations at time, but. He was asked both in that 15-minute session that's on television, but then he was also asked again during his 45-minute session, why Wisconsin and why now? And he went into – his timing was the big word there. He brought up his family with the timing. He brought up um, that it makes sense with on both sides, both with him and what he wants for his career, but also where the program is because he said that change and leadership can sometimes be good for young players. But it has to be done the right way. You don't want to do it at a time when it turns a player off and now you've lost them forever. There is a way, right way to do that. And this seemed to line up perfectly with what he is and what the culture at Wisconsin is, while also giving him an opportunity to maybe push Wisconsin forward a little bit. And that's what I want to get into there. We know what Wisconsin is offensively, right? They've got great running backs, great offensive line, and they're going to run the ball a lot. But Ryan Day showed up at Ohio State in 2017, and every year since, he Ohio State has forced the issue that if you want to keep up with us in this conference, you better be able to throw the ball when it's time to throw the ball. Jim Harbaugh has started getting five-star quarterbacks. We just talked about J.J. McCarthy. He doesn't have to do what C.J. Stroud and Justin Fields and what Kyle McCord or Devin Brown will have to do as Ohio State's starting quarterback, but he does have to make throws. From time to time, he had to make some throws in that in that Ohio State game last year, and he made some the year before that as well. Uh, Penn State's gotten in on the top tier quarterback game with Drew Aller. Uh, Michigan State will probably get involved here. Notre Dame's not in the Big Ten, but they're in the North, and they've got CJ Carr as a top fifty recruit coming on the way too. USC is about to come in here with Lincoln Riley and his quarterback factory. UCLA's got a five star quarterback. Wisconsin can't just be handoff left, handoff right anymore. And you see it with the immediate decisions that Luke Whipler, Luke Fickle, Fickle has made. Listen, when you're the starting center here for two years, you get used to saying a kid's name. <laughs> Luke Fickle, the decisions he made immediately, bringing in Philip Lloyd as his offensive coordinator, going to get Tanner Mordecai out of the transfer portal. No, those aren't decisions that are going to beat Michigan and Penn State and Ohio State today but they are a sign of what he wants to do there. He wants to create an offense that throws the ball, has a vertical passing game that can allow him to compete with those teams later down the line. And so I, it made me press a question to both of you in a video, and I'll press it here too, and you can say the exact same thing in the video, or you can switch it up and come on my side. No one will know. No one's going to see this stuff. Five years down the line, I don't think it's – that far stretched to think that Wisconsin at bare minimum can be the same level of a threat to Ohio state's chances of winning the big 10 as Michigan. I, I think it's close. Like, I don't think that that's like, you know, so far out of left field that it's crazy. I just, you know, I, you know, one of the things I told you guys um, was that I think what Luke fickle does is he raises their floor 
I have questions about their ceiling. You know, I mean, I mean, if you look at the 2023 recruiting class, you know, just for example, I mean, you got Ohio State at five, you got USC at eight. You go to 24, you've got Ohio State currently at number two, and this is the 247 composite rankings, by the way. Ohio State at number two, Michigan at number four, Penn State at number six, USC at number nine. Like, these are really, really top-notch programs. Nebraska is 19th in the country. Then you get to Wisconsin at 21. Like, Luke, like he is joining a conference with Wisconsin right now that is about to go divisionless, number one. And number two, you are going to have two new opponents. Like you mentioned, you know, UCLA has a new five-star quarterback, Dante Moore. Like UCLA is not going to be terrible for, you know, they're, they're not going to be terrible for, for this kind of stretch of time that you're talking about. Like, I just don't, I don't, I think may, you know, if you get the right quarterback and the stars align, and I think, I think you can win some of these games, you know, like if Ohio, like if, if Ohio state loses to Wisconsin in the next handful of years, like I, I think you guys even talked about that as potential this year. Like if they lose some of these games, you're not going to be surprised. I just, I don't think Wisconsin is ever going to be able to recruit and play at that level consistent, consistently, kind of like you see from an Ohio State. Like you're going to see, you know, you would assume with a Lincoln Riley USC, like you're seeing now with Michigan. Like I just, I just think the circumstances are going to be way too hard for Wisconsin to be able to do this consistently. Like, yeah, sure, you can have a one-year, you know, hey, look, they have this really good quarterback and they're a really senior team or they're a really, you know, top-heavy team. And, you know, they got a dude at receiver and their offensive line's good again. And they got, hey, they got this really good defensive end. They can get after the – like, you can kind of go down the line and map that out and say, like, this isn't insane. I just don't think you can do it consistently because I don't think you're going to be able to recruit at that level with some of these other top schools. And I just – Frank, I just don't think that they're going to have the ability to hang with week over week, year over year, Ohio State, USC, Michigan, Penn State. You see it like it's just going to be a really, really tough conference very, very soon. And I think Fickle's kind of, uh, you know, he's kind of a victim of circumstance, I think. Yeah, it's interesting. You brought up that uh, we were talking about Wisconsin this year. I picked Ohio State to lose to Wisconsin this year, but mostly because I was just looking for I, I, I was like, well, this team can't go 12 and 0. I don't think it goes 12 and 0. Where's the one loss? And that was the one that I came up with uh, being a road game, tough environment, etc. Um, but I would still vote no. I would still say that, especially if you're asking, could they be as big or bigger of a threat than Michigan is? Uh, number one, I think that Michigan is still just a, a tier above Wisconsin in the way that it recruits. I don't know that Fickle – it's one thing to want to come in and change things up and go air raid. There's going to be a period of time before you get the personnel there to do that um, in the way that you really want to. I'm curious how much – that really changes what they do offensively this year. If it's a more gradual kind of uh, ascent to the, to that kind of a attack. And, but, but on top of that, they don't play Wisconsin every year. They play Michigan every year. You, the, the Michigan Ohio state game is still an annual gateway to the championship in a way that few other games are. Even if, even among the other protected rivalries in the Big Ten starting in 2024, how many of them do you consider being essential to deciding the Big Ten championship every single year? Especially because Penn State has no protected rivalries, so it's it's really just a couple of games. And it, actually, Ohio State Michigan might be the only one really 
that is a protected game. Now, maybe we'll you know decide differently when it comes to USC, UCLA. Maybe that becomes one, um, especially if USC uh, just becomes a program that hangs at that level. But uh, it remains to be seen. So that's kind of what I come back to is that there is a even when one of those programs dips a little bit there's enough writing on that game in week 12 every year that if you're talking threat level Michigan threat level is still higher I I see where you guys come from I think the recruiting part of this to 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 tackle that one Luke Fickle is going to have to really work there and he did say that it's it's he's the fit and culturally is all there, but also he doesn't have ties to Wisconsin. So he's, he's almost where I said this to somebody when I was having this conversation earlier, he's where Ryan day was with that 2020 class. Remember how they took all those lower rated guys who have just had not panned out, but they, they kind of went overload on the in-state guys as they were trying to build relationships instead of standard there. I think that Luke fickle is going to need a class like that, a class where, you look back on it, and there's like six or seven guys in it where you're like, I can't believe you took this dude. Why is he on your roster? It, it's year five, and he's never played. He's not played a single meaningful snap for you, even a non-meaningful snap for you. That was a waste of a scholarship, but it pays off later down the line when you when you actually do need to make inroads with some of those high school programs because they do have a four-star. They do have a five-star. But Penn State has very much taken advantage of this, this 24 cycle of there being a head – a head coach transition who doesn't necessarily have strong relationships with anywhere in Wisconsin. I'm high on Luke Fickle. Part of it is because I think he's a nice guy. But also, I, I like a guy with a plan where I feel like I can believe it. And I think there have been t- teams within this conference who have gotten new head coaches since I've been on this beat where I didn't believe you. I never believed Scott Frost. And it's, you know, and we'll see with Matt Rule whether that pays off or not. I think he shot for the stars with this 2024 class trying to get Dylan Rayola and it didn't work out. And I think he's shooting for the stars in a crazy way right now. I don't know if I believe that one. I think maybe I'm a little higher on Luke Fickle than I should be, but it's because he he presented a plan today that felt like it can work for what Wisconsin is. They're not going to be, I don't think that they'll be better than Ohio state ever. I don't think they will be better than Michigan is ever maybe with Penn state. I don't know. There, there seems to be a ceiling on Penn state right now, but I do think that, they can be the thorn in the side of the, those programs that Mark D'Antonio had Michigan State being, where any of those times that Michigan State beat Ohio State, you look at those rosters, Ohio State was clearly the more talented roster. And nine times out of ten, you play that game, Ohio State wins it. But Michigan State had enough, whether it was the Big Ten Championship game in 2013, the regular season game in 2015, where they had just enough to where if they if Ohio State is off just a little bit, Michigan State can walk away with a win and then walk away with a playoff spot. And it's now you're not fighting for just one playoff spot. You're fighting for 12. And the Big Ten's probably going to get three or four of those every single year. And I think Wisconsin can put itself in a position where if you think Ohio State's guaranteed to probably have one, right, unless something really goes crazy, Michigan's putting themselves in a position where they're probably going to habitually have one We'll see with USC. I mean, they've got some defensive things to, to, to pan out there. I wouldn't be shocked if Wisconsin becomes another team where it's like, oh, they're, they have a playoff spot for the Big Ten because Luke Fickle has something going there. 
Let's see. Anything else before we get up out of here? Because we're about five minutes from them kicking us out. Anything else anybody learned today that maybe they thought was interesting and matters to Ohio State? You know, nothing off the top of my head. We're also going to come back uh, Friday with a quick Buckeye yeah. Talk because we know we're getting out of here quick. So we will have a Buckeye Talk up Friday morning, and then we'll come back with another one on Monday. That'll probably be a market down Monday because we we need to get back into the habit of those. So we're going to kind of regroup, I think, uh, when we get back to Columbus tonight. And I think tomorrow will be a good opportunity to go kind of comb back through some of the little uh, nuggets that we heard from Ohio State over the last couple of days as to um, uh, guys that there's a little bit of buzz about, that sort of thing. Like which ones of those uh, really have piqued our interest with preseason camp now. Uh, it's going to be less than a week away by the time we record that tomorrow. Yeah, August 3rd. That's when sign up for the text, sign up for the text. This is probably the best time. One of the best times that we say that a lot. This is probably the best time. This is one of the best times to sign up for the text. 614-350-3315. Get all that information. We're going to be out of those some of those practices. We're going to be talking to different position groups every time we're there. And we're going to be sending it to that text first before we sit down to write, before we sit down to pod. It goes to your text messages first. So sign up for the text. Um, and yeah, that's that. That concludes the 2023 Big Ten Media Days. Not, not very fireworky, you know. Not a lot really happened. It was, it was just kind of like you know, it was okay. <laughs> well, it, you know, there's a lot of controversy swirling right now. Uh, the the Michigan true. thing is almost like third on the list. You've got the Minnesota yeah. story that broke this week that PJ Fleck had to come and defend the, his actions towards players and try to correct the record of what he thinks was incorrect information in there. You have everything that's swirling around Northwestern where they're throwing their interim head coach in front of a mic when, um, you know, the, yeah. the cowardly administration is uh, hiding up in the press box or whatever. And uh, then the players aren't here, which is good that they didn't have to answer for any of that stuff. And um, it, it, so it, it, there was kind of a weird vibe with that stuff. But this is also a, a year where, uh, I don't know, it, it, there wasn't quite the same. Yeah, you're right. There wasn't maybe a lot of fire. That's why if, if Ryan Day had said that about the game on Wednesday, it would have seemed like a pretty bland couple of days here. I mean, that ended up being like one of the, the, the like sparks of the week and, and got people talking about things and interested about things from a new perspective. So. Uh, without that, it would have been a, a little bit of a downer week. But I'm at the same time looking around this conference and uh, especially even just looking at the East and thinking this Ohio State-Michigan game that we're going to slowly creep towards over those 11 weeks before Thanksgiving weekend. And then also like just keeping an eye on Penn State and like how good it, are they really? I was talking to Maryland players today, and I don't think Maryland is at the level that can challenge Ohio State and Michigan, maybe not even Penn State. But I, you can tell that that game last year against Ohio State was a little bit of a light bulb for them to see how they could get on a field with a team that good and hang and make them uncomfortable and push them into the fourth quarter. And that is sometimes one of those things that a year later, then they do knock off somebody and they say, well, that you know, we knew we could do this. We were right there against Ohio State last year. We had a chance. We just couldn't get it done. This was our final, our moment to finally kind of push over the top. I talked to Mike Loxley a little bit today, and I, I think he 
um, has a, a good concept of how he's building that program. So uh, they're a team that I'm – I just think that this could be a fun year. I'm starting to get that vibe. You know what I mean? Like it's been a long summer – or actually a short summer. It went by fast for me. Uh, you get a kid at home, things go by fast. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of feeling that buzz for just the season in general finding out more about what this team, this Iowa State team actually is on the field and then seeing how it matches up against what we think is some teams of promise that could be lying out there and that this could be an interesting year for the Big Ten. I think there might be yeah, some it, fireworks. Go ahead, go ahead, Andrew. For, give well, us your gonna, thoughts on your first Big Ten media days and how you think things cool. are going to go. Yeah, I think, you know, to your point about the, the fireworks, I think it was one of those things where coming in it was like, like okay, there was some real explosion potential. Obviously, you had the Michigan stuff, the Northwestern stuff, the Minnesota stuff, um, and like if, if you would have told me a week ago, well, pretty much right when I got this job, you know, if you would have told me a week ago that like, hey, Ryan Day's going to say this about the Michigan game, I would have been like, oh, Big Ten media days crazy. I just think you know there was a lot of downplaying of that stuff, and you know, kind of like Nathan said, where you know a lot of non-answers and you know things like that, especially from the Northwestern side, there wasn't really anything like super newsy that kind of popped up i do want to go back to the to the maryland point because that was that was what i was going to say like so i was looking up their schedule as, as nathan was talking they play towson and charlotte to open the season at home then they play uva at michigan state indiana and then they come to ohio state so i mean that's that's what i mean there's i mean you play, you play towson that's a win like you're four and one at least coming into Columbus. Like Maryland's going to be feeling pretty good going into that game, and I mean Mike Mike Loxley today, like at his at his uh, his big podium session, the one that's only like 15 minutes. You know, um, he said we're here to compete for Big Ten championships, and for us, our program is finally RS is finally our program is at a point where we can finally say that. You haven't heard me say that in the previous four times I've been in front of you guys, but I think now is the time. We're not going to let goals like winning championships get in the way of doing the work, and our players understand that. Like Maryland's feeling good. Like Maryland's feeling good. Um, they have actually good uniforms now. They got rid of that terrible like Maryland flag helmet thing. They went back to the script terps. You look good, feel good, you play good. Um, I kind of like. The, I, I'm with Nathan. I like the vibe that I'm getting from the terps this season. Um, again, I, I I question what that is going to end yeah. up being. But like I, think I mean, it, I think it might you have to play Ohio State, you have to play Penn State. It's just too hard. But I like yeah. the vibes. I think the preseason has been very stand. Go ahead, and I'll wrap up. Uh, I, I forgot what I was going to say. Actually, uh, something he said that triggered something in my head. Maryland competing for Big Ten championships. <laughs> oh yes, schedule. it was that. I was just going to point out the caveat I'm going to give to all that is the last time I heard like a upstart lower division kind of coach saying those things was 2021 Tom Allen and Indiana's won like half a game since then <laughs> oh so, yeah like you know you gotta it, but I think I think Maryland is in a better position to follow through on I think it's I think it's success while not being at the level of COVID year Indiana in some ways was more real and is something that they can maybe build on and they've got Talia Tagovailoa I think the preseason has been very standard. Even our, our uh, preseason poll, the teams at the top of that poll seem kind of standard. It's Michigan, it's Ohio State, it's Penn State, it's Wisconsin. You know, teams that typically are good in the Big Ten. And 
when it's that standard coming into the season, I do wonder when the fireworks are going to start because they do start eventually. And you guys are throwing Maryland out there. I am wondering who plays spoiler because there always is that team in the Big Ten, whether it's in the West or the East, typically the West because the West is a, is a different type of disaster. But who can play spoiler? And if we're coming into this season and we think that the Big Ten East especially is home to three of maybe the top eight teams in the country coming into the season – I highly doubt all three of those teams end up in the top eight by the end of the year because that's just not how football works. So who can play spoiler in that situation? I'm trying to think. I mean, Penn State might have been in the top eight of the final poll. Let me look. I had them very high all season. I had them very high at the start of the year. And and they kind of bounced around. Yeah, Penn State was number seven. So last year, Ohio State, the, the final poll last year, Michigan 3, Ohio State 4, Penn State 7. Well, maybe we just get that again. That'll be fun. This year is going to be fun. Hosting is fun. I think Driving back from – yeah. I think the question is, will a West team – because last year, no West teams in the yeah. top 25 for the Big Ten. Yeah. So I think the question is the West team. If you want to pick a spoiler, and I don't remember exactly who – well, I do know one of the games. Um, I think Mich- Michigan plays Iowa – and we know what Iowa is defensively, and they've got a quarterback now in Cade McNamara, who's probably who is not a great quarterback, but is the, a better quarterback than Iowa's had in a while, and will have some incentive for that game. So that's a game that I'm kind of just keeping in the back of my mind. Like it, it doesn't mean that you're a team that you can beat that team ten out of ten times. Can you beat them one out of ten times? And this is the one game. That's just one that I'm I'm kind of keeping a side eye on. So the season's here. August 3rd, Ohio State starts 2023 season. For Nathan Baird, for Andrew Gillis, I'm Stephen Means, and the season is here. And that was Buckeye Talk.